Thank you. you. May be seated. Our first scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. They shall see you, or, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. God. Our second scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given, given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it was now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, the sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gifts of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might know, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. The word of God for the people of God. God. We've moved out of the book of Luke. We're in the book of Matthew. So if you want to turn with me, I'm going to read it. But if you do want to, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who was born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of all people, and he inquired of them where the Messiah was born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For so it was written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall be a ruler, who is to shepherd my people, 
Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learning from them the exact time when the star appeared. Then he sent from Bethlehem them saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay homage also. When they had heard the king, they set out and here ahead of them went the star and they went to see its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On the entering of the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid homage. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return back to Herod, they left to their own country by another road. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Corey, if you could set that up for me and get started on that. Um, for, most of the out, for most of the world outside of our little corner of it, this is the third largest Christian holiday on the calendar. Uh, most important being Easter for most people, the resurrection, followed by Christmas, but then we have Epiphany. Um, oftentimes this is kind of walked past in our culture and what we know, but Epiphany is huge in other places, and they have very distinct, I want the front lights off, thank you, um, huge in other places, they have distinct cultures and customs and practices, and I wanted to show you a few this morning before we got started. This is in Spain. It was, this is last year on the Saturday before Epiphany. In Spain, they have large parades where all men get to dress up like the Magi, which sounds fun. Um, and they come in on the backs of donkeys. And parents and children pack city sidewalks, and they watch colorful parades. And the celebration commemorates the journey that the three wise men are said to have taken, and they presented Jesus with gifts. And in Spain, Christmas gifts, um, you don't get them on Christmas Day. You wait until Epiphany to get them. So all the children are very excited and have parades because this they get presents. Um, so this is important, and they get presents on Epiphany because the Magi brought presents, and children in Spain will also leave their shoes out and put hay in them, um, because the hay is for the camels to eat, obviously, the Magi's camels, um, and they eat those and then leave little trinkets and gifts in their shoes. So, um, this is cute, that's from Spain. The next one, this is our Orthodox brothers and sisters. These are Orthodox Christians in Bulgaria who dove into freezing water yesterday to retrieve a wooden crucifix there was one wooden crucifix the priest throws it in and they all jump in to get it and if you get it you win um I'm not sure what you win, um, hypothermia maybe, um, but they win, you win the present, the prize. But this goes back to the Byzantine Empire. This is very common and what they did in Epiphany. Um, and then this is done through Bulgaria, Greece, Russia, wherever you see a large concentration of our Orthodox uh, brethren there. Um, Orthodox Australians yesterday had Holy Epiphany weekend um, and more than 3,000 people were expected to swim in Melbourne. Um, just in the cold. They, well, I guess it's not cold down there. They're warmer. They're so good for them as opposed to the Russian people. Um, then, then this celebrates the ceremony, I'm going to probably say this wrong, of Theophania, which is the day after Epiphany where they bless the waters. And that's part of what this is. Actually, that picture specifically um, is off the coast of Athens, so they're warm. And that's Orthodox. They're also catching a crucifix there. So that's part of what they do. This the next one is the scary one. Show me that. Ah, um, this is terrifying to me. This is in Italy. 
Um, I decided everyone needed to see this picture because it haunted my dreams and it should haunt yours as well. This is La Bafana. She is followed by black cats and um, flocks of birds. Um, and according to legend, La Bafana was approached by the biblical magi and just days before Jesus' birth and wanted to follow them to Jesus. She never found Jesus, so she continues to give gifts to all children that she finds. So basically, this is Italian Santa Claus, and um, she is a witch, and she brings you gifts on Epiphany, and she is terrifying. Um, so, and people dress up like La Bafana and dance in the streets on Epiphany. So that is it. My next slide is going to be Mexico. Yeah. Um, so this is the last one I want to show you. This is Mexico, and theirs way better than a witch. They eat sweets. Um, so um, this is at Roscoe de Reyes, and they make a sweet bread that is in shape of a crown, a ring, uh, and they put a baby inside, which I'm sure we are familiar with, that represents the Holy Family's need to hide from King Herod. Um, and whoever finds the baby in this culture, um, then they have to make the feast for Candlemas, which is on February 2nd, which often means they have to make tamales. So as opposed to our traditional king cake um, that we know from like Mardi Gras, um, where we want the baby, you don't want to catch the baby in this because then you have to cook. Um, so... But obviously, that's where the idea of a king cake, and that all made sense to me when I was reading this. I was like, oh, the king cake and the baby. This makes way more sense. It's to celebrate the kings, the three kings, and to hide the baby. So, Corey, that's all I need for you from today. Um, thank you very much. There's a whole lot more. Um, there was tons. Um, thank you, Steve. <coughs> Um, from our Coptic brother and sisters, which I didn't show you today, they have huge, in Africa, they have huge parades and things like that, but their epiphany is so different than ours, I didn't show it to you because they celebrate uh, the baptism of Jesus at Epiphany and not the Magi, so uh, their ideas were a little different, but if you ever want to look up Ethiopian Epiphany, it is fascinating. There's lots of baptisms, um, but there's that. So... Um, this, our gospel reading for today, obviously takes place at the end of our nativity story. Um, and so as we end our Christmas season, uh, we would be remiss if we had not talked about Epiphany. Um, our, in our coming days, we will settle solidly into ordinary time. We've gone out of Christmas tide, we're in Epiphany, and then we have ordinary time until Lent, um, which Lent is obviously our feasting and fasting time. But this is the last big holiday before Easter uh, in the Christmas calendar. So we have to talk about the Magi today. It's so important to talk about the Magi. But in my readings, and obviously in yours, if you've studied the Magi, you will know that most of the Gospels do not include them. Um, our nativity that we set, we, we took down our nativity set yesterday, but if it was still up here, um, basically the parts of our nativity that we hold up here are, we take parts from Luke and parts from Mark and parts from uh, Matthew, because none None of that story runs chronologically through any gospel. So we're taking this from the gospel of Matthew, even though we've been in the gospel of Luke for most of um, all of December, actually. And so our earliest gospel of Mark, he leaves this part out. He doesn't talk about the Magi at all. Um, our faithful Luke text doesn't talk about these stargazers. John never mentions three kings from the Orient. It is only our friend Matthew that brings us these revelations of these men. Um, 
So I'm not suggesting that the event did or didn't happen because it is absent or does occur in some text. But what I'm saying is Matthew included it for a purpose. And I would like us to dig in what this obscure purpose of Matthew including that in our text is today. Because obviously he wanted to tell generations of people something about this revelation. He, and that is why even today it is celebrated via party in countless countries and languages every year. Because it shows from the very start, from the very beginning of the life of Jesus our Savior, that the words penned by Paul were true from the beginning. Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. That God at the beginning of the universe, in the beginning of time, he might have been born a Jew in the personhood of Jesus, but he didn't simply come to redeem just the Jewish people, people of Jewish descent or lineage, but he, from infancy and with the miraculous, he showed us that people from different colors and ethnic backgrounds and religious backgrounds, all of us can be saved by the God of the universe. But what I find most miraculous about this story is that they didn't find ideas of a savior in the way that everybody else in our nativity story has. There was no Gabriel there was no Michael, there was no archangel, there was no heavenly choir, there was no heavenly hosts. That's not how they found him. And they didn't find him how we find him today either. There was no sanctuary, there were no hymns, there was no preacher, there was no Bible. How does one find God without the Bible, some ask. Well, easy. God's not the Bible the Bible is a book about God, and it's a very good one, but God is so much bigger than words on a page. So much so that when these men began to seek, that when they looked up to the heavens with hope in their hearts and desire for answers, that after much wandering, they found him. Now, I know we pride ourselves here in diversity of thought. And that we don't expect anyone that's sitting next to us to believe the exact same way that we believe. And that's great. And we don't, we often ask open-ended questions and, and leave it for open-ended answers. And that's one of my favorite things about being here. But I wanted to convey a deeply held belief of mine personally this morning. That whether you are like shepherds and you found God with a choir and with a word, or if you are wandering a great distance and for a long time, that either way, God finds us. It, if it's not you, maybe it's your brother or your mother or your closest friend that you have longed to find the peace of Christ and still haven't. I believe that that wandering doesn't make us essentially lost. It just means you haven't found it yet. And at the end of the day, that the love of God is so all-encompassing that whether you are dutifully and consistently tending sheep or if you're having an extremely hard time finding Bethlehem, that the love of God finds us all. That the love of God always finds us. Even if these men, they did not know what they were looking for or what they thought they might find, God pursued them. God pursued them with a star, that even when it looks like it is man who is looking for Messiah, ultimately the Messiah is finding us. He is always finding us. 
In all of our wandering and all of their wandering, grace sought them out and grace found them. And grace is seeking us today that the love of God finds us all. But like the Magi, finding grace also gives us a responsibility to speak against evil and to help those in need. Because, as we read in our gospel reading this morning, the Magi encountered an evil King Herod before they found their Messiah. And that the king deceitfully asked the Magi to find the king of the Jews and report back. So right here in this moment is where we find the first act of civil disobedience in our gospel stories. They realized that via divine encounter in a dream that this governmental leader was wishing harm on a savior. And they chose to defy his orders and they went back to their country in their own way. In a different way to where Herod couldn't find them. They left the king out of the loop and never informed him of what he wanted to know. So if we want to pick up out of this text an actionable, important lesson for us to glean from these magi, well, this, this has to be one of them. This has to be one of them. We as modern Christians still must be able to look at evil men with evil requests, doing evil things, and take a different path. To turn our backs on things that harm the gospel message and that harm people of the gospel People that are made in the very image of Christ. I'm reminded of one of my favorite pastors. Obviously, whenever we talk about civil disobedience, you can't not talk about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. The excerpt I'm about to read to you is from Letters from a Birmingham Jail, which is a familiar title for most of us. But if you haven't read it in a while, I'll refresh it. Um, This is where he was um, imprisoned in Birmingham, obviously, um, after an act of civil disobedience when he was protesting Jim Crow laws. And he was specifically addressing the clergy during this time. So I'm going to read an excerpt. It says, Dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham jail, I came across your recent statements calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism on my work or ideas If I sought to answer all your criticisms that cross my desk, my secretaries would have little time to do anything else. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement with what I hope is patient and reasonable terms. And then he writes a few paragraphs about his current predicament, and then he says, I must make an honest confession to you, my Christian brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block in his strive towards freedom is not the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with the goal that you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternistically believe he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait, to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. 
lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And those are the words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. The letter continues on and on, but I'm going to stop there. I read this. This is January. I read letters from the Birmingham jail every January, more specifically on uh, Martin Luther King Day. I try to always go back and read that text. I try to remind myself as a white clergy member that often being moderate doesn't help anyone. If the Magi had been passive in their confrontation of evil, it could have led to the death of the Holy Family. And more often than not, silence results in violence. And when we sit in our comfortable pews and homes and see evil in our midst and do nothing, we are no better than the people that Dr. King were talking about that prefer the absence of tension to the presence of justice. We must use our time, our voices, our resources, all of these things to speak against the evil in our communities and in our lives. We cannot simply trust the powerful because of their power. But instead, like the Magi, we must always ask, is this right? Is this just? Is this holy? Is this kind? Because like the Magi, when we ask these questions, heaven will tell us. When we ask these questions of our God, he will not leave us in silence. Heaven will tell us in our hearts, in a dream, in the pages of the book that we read so fervently, the divine will always remind us which way to go. The divine will never leave us without a star. Because we have a star that points the way. We still have a star that points our way. We are ultimately walking the same journey that those wise men were. I hope we are. I hope we still walk that journey that points us to Jesus. Towards the example that he set and towards the lives that he always persistently calls us to lead. So may we continually seek Jesus. And may we continually seek justice. May we pray about how individually we can stand up to the evil in our midst. Because it's ever present and it doesn't leave. May we all pray the justice of our God of heaven upon this earth on a daily basis until he comes again.